Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Perhaps she had more serious reasons for uneasiness. Monsieur Bovary was not the man to respect anything. One day, Emma was suddenly seized with the desire to see her little girl, who had been put to nurse with the carpenter's wife, and, without looking at the calendar to see whether the six weeks of the Virgin were yet passed, she set out for the Rollet's house, situated at the extreme end of the village, between the high road and the fields. It was midday. The shutters of the houses were closed, and the slate roofs that glittered beneath the fierce light of the blue sky seemed to strike sparks from the rest of the gables. A heavy wind was blowing. Emma felt weak as she walked. The stones of the pavement hurt her. She was doubtful whether she would not go home again, or go in somewhere to rest. At this moment Monsieur Léon came out from a neighbouring door, with a bundle of papers under his arm. He came to greet her, and stood in the shade in front of the Lheureur's shop under the projecting grey awning. Madame Bovary said she was going to see her baby, but that she was beginning to grow tired. "'If,' said Léon, not daring to go on, "'have you any business to attend to?' she asked. And on the clerk's answer she begged him to accompany her. That same evening this was known in Yonville, and Madame Tuvache, the mayor's wife, declared in the presence of her servant that Madame Bovary was compromising herself. To get to the nurses it was necessary to turn to the left on leaving the street, as if making for the cemetery, and to follow between little houses and yards a small path bordered with privet hedges. They were in bloom, and so were the speedwells, eglantines, thistles, and the sweetbriar that sprang up from the thickets. Through openings in the hedges one could see into the huts, some pigs on a dung-heap, or tethered cows rubbing their horns against the trunk of trees. The two, side by side, walked slowly, she leaning upon him, and he restraining his pace, which he regulated by hers. In front of them a swarm of midges fluttered, buzzing in the warm air. They recognised the house by an old walnut-tree which shaded it. Lo, and covered with brown tiles, there hung outside it, beneath the dormer window of the garret, a string of onions. Faggots upright against a thorn fence surrounded a bed of lettuce, a few square feet of lavender, and sweet peas strung on sticks. Dirty water was running here and there on the grass, and all round were several indefinite rags, knitted stockings, a red calico jacket, and a large sheet of coarse linen spread over the hedge. At the noise of the gate the nurse appeared with a baby she was suckling on one arm. 
With her other hand she was pulling along a poor puny fellow, his face covered with scrofula, the son of a Rouen hosier, whom his parents, too taken up with their business, left in the country. "'Go in,' she said. "'Your little one is there asleep.' The room on the ground floor, the only one in the dwelling, had, at its further end, against the wall, a large bed without curtains, while a kneading trough took up the side by the window, one pane of which was mended with a piece of blue paper. In the corner behind the door, shining hobnailed shoes stood in a row under the slab of the washstand, near a bottle of oil with a feather stuck in its mouth. A Mathieu Leinsberg lay on the dusty mantelpiece amid gunflints, candle-ends, and bits of amadou. Finally, the last luxury in the apartment was a fame blowing her trumpets, a picture cut out, no doubt, from some perfumer's prospectus, and nailed to the wall with six wooden shoe-pegs. Emma's child was asleep in a wicker cradle. She took it up in the wrapping that enveloped it, and began singing softly as she rocked herself to and fro. Léon walked up and down the room. It seemed strange to him to see this beautiful woman in her nankeen dress in the midst of all this poverty. Madame Bovary reddened. He turned away, thinking perhaps there had been an impertinent look in his eyes. Then she put back the little girl, who had just been sick over her collar. The nurse came at once to dry her, protesting that it wouldn't show. "'She gives me other doses,' she said. "'I am always a-washing of her. If you would have the goodness to order Camus, the grocer, to let me have a little soap, it really would be more convenient for you, as I needn't trouble you then.' "'Very well, very well,' said Emma. "'Good morning, Madame Rollet.' And she went out, wiping her shoes at the door. The good woman accompanied her to the end of the garden, talking all the time of the trouble she had getting up of nights. "'I'm that worn out sometimes as I drop asleep on my chair. I'm sure you might at least give me just a pound of ground coffee. That'd last me a month, and I'd take it of a morning with some milk.' After having submitted to her thanks, Madame Bovary left. She had gone a little way down the path, when, at the sound of wooden shoes, she turned round. It was the nurse. "'What is it?' Then the peasant woman, taking her aside behind an elm-tree, began talking to her of her husband, who, with his trade and six francs a year that the captain— "'Oh, be quick!' said Emma. "'Well,' the nurse went on, heaving sighs between each word, "'I'm afraid he'll be put out, seeing me have coffee alone. You know men.' "'But you are to have some,' Emma repeated. "'I will give you some. You bother me.' "'Oh, dear, my poor dear lady! You see, in consequence of his wounds, he has terrible cramps in the chest. He even says that cider weakens him.' "'Do make haste, Merolet.' "'Well,' the latter continued, making a curtsy, "'if it weren't asking too much,' and she curtsied once more, "'if you would,' and her eyes begged, "'a jar of brandy,' she said at last, "'and I'd rub your little one's feet with it. "'They're as tender as one's tongue.' Once rid of the nurse, Emma again took Monsieur Léon's arm. She walked fast for some time, then more slowly, and looking straight in front of her, her eyes rested on the shoulder of the young man, whose frock-coat had a black velvety collar. His brown hair fell over it, straight and carefully arranged. She noticed his nails, which were longer than one wore them at Yonville. It was one of the clerk's chief occupations to trim them, 
and for this purpose he kept a special knife in his writing-desk. They returned to Yonville by the waterside. In the warm season the bank, wider than at other times, showed to their foot the garden walls whence a few steps led to the river. It flowed noiselessly, swift and cold to the eye. Long thin grasses huddled together in it as the current drove them, and spread themselves upon the limpid water like streaming hair. Sometimes at the tip of the reeds, or on the leaf of a water-lily, an insect with fine legs crawled or rested. The sun pierced with a ray the small blue bubbles of the waves that, breaking, followed each other. Branchless old willows mirrored their grey backs in the water. Beyond, all around, the meadows seemed empty. It was the dinner-hour at the farms, and the young woman and her companion heard nothing as they walked but the fall of their steps on the earth of the path, the words they spoke, and the sound of Emma's dress rustling around her. The walls of the gardens with pieces of bottle on their coping were hot as the glass windows of a conservatory. Wallflowers had sprung up between the bricks, and with the tip of her open sunshade, Madame Bovary, as she passed, made some of their faded flowers crumble into a yellow dust, or a spray of overhanging honeysuckle and clematis caught in its fringe and dangled for a moment over the silk. They were talking of a troupe of Spanish dancers, who were expected shortly at the Rouen Theatre. "'Are you going?' she asked. "'If I can,' he answered. Had they nothing else to say to one another? Yet their eyes were full of more serious speech, and while they forced themselves to find trivial phrases, they felt the same languor stealing over them both. It was the whisper of the soul, deep, continuous, dominating that of their voices. Surprised with wonder at this strange sweetness, they did not think of speaking of the sensation, or of seeking its cause. Coming joys, like tropical shores, throw over the immensity before them their inborn softness, an odorous wind, and we are lulled by this intoxication without a thought of the horizon that we do not even know. In one place the ground had been trodden down by the cattle. They had to step on large green stones put here and there in the mud. She often stopped a moment to look where to place her foot, and, tottering on a stone that shook, her arms outspread, her form bent forward with a look of indecision, she would laugh, afraid of falling into the puddles of water. When they arrived in front of her garden, Madame Bovary opened the little gate, ran up the steps and disappeared. Léon returned to his office. His chief was away. He just glanced at the briefs, then cut himself a pen, and at last took up his hat and went out. He went to La Pâture, at the top of the Argueil hills, at the beginning of the forest. He threw himself upon the ground under the pines, and watched the sky through his fingers. "'How bored I am!' he said to himself. "'How bored I am!' He thought he was to be pitied for living in this village, with Homme for a friend, and Monsieur Guillaumin for a master. The latter, entirely absorbed by his business, wearing gold-rimmed spectacles and red whiskers over a white cravat, understood nothing of mental refinements, though he affected a stiff English manner, which in the beginning had impressed the clerk. As to the chemist's spouse, she was the best wife in Normandy, gentle as a sheep, loving her children, her father, her mother, her cousins, weeping for others' woes, 
letting everything go in her household, and detesting corsets. But so slow of movement, such a bore to listen to, so common in appearance, and of such restricted conversation, that although she was thirty, he only twenty, although they slept in rooms next each other, and he spoke to her daily, he never thought that she might be a woman for another, or that she possessed anything else of her sex than the gown. And what else was there? Binet, a few shopkeepers, two or three publicans, the curé, and finally Monsieur Tuvache, the mayor, with his two sons, rich, crabbed, obtuse persons who farmed their own lands, and had feasts among themselves, bigoted to boot, and quite unbearable companions. But from the general background of all these human faces, Emma's stood out isolated, and yet farthest off, for between her and him he seemed to see a vague abyss. In the beginning he had called on her several times along with a druggist. Charles had not appeared particularly anxious to see him again, and Léon did not know what to do between his fear of being indiscreet and the desire for an intimacy that seemed almost impossible. End of Part 2 Chapter 3